Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Don't we all get a little bit upset when someone, nosy neighbor, friend, relative, gives us advice and expects us to follow it? Or what do we do when they tell us something and we don't believe them, but it turns out to be true? Like, what if olives could help prevent motion sickness? Is that really true? Actually, yes it is. So, I guess sometimes if you do listen to those old wives' tales, and sometimes if you do listen to your friends and family, maybe you can get some relief. So let's see what Joe and Charlie tell us about getting relief from our resentments. And we could see that if we remain selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, and inconsiderate, we would keep doing the same old things, keep right on hurting people, they would retaliate, we would resent, and eventually get drunk over it. So what we really found through that process yesterday, in the fourth column we found the exact nature of the wrong that we were going to discuss with another human being. The resentment being the wrong, but the nature of it is what grew with us that allowed it to happen in the first place. In the fourth column we found those defects of character we're going to be willing to turn loose of in step six. In the fourth column we found those shortcomings we're going to ask God to take away in step seven. And naturally we found that most of the names in column one were actually people or institutions that we had harmed, so they will come off of column one, they will go on to the list to be used at a later date for steps eight and nine. Now I hope we did not give the impression though that we could always be 100% resentment free. You know, God never gave us anything bad. It's only how we use these things that determines whether they're bad or not. Resentments can be used for a useful purpose if used correctly. Sometimes people say and do things that might hurt our self-esteem. But if it causes us to look at ourselves and causes us to realize that we need to change, then maybe we could use a resentment in order to change ourselves and make ourselves better people to start with. For instance, let's say we're living in the neighborhood and the old neighborhood's all run down, all the houses are in bad shape, they all need paint, they got broken window panes, torn screens, mine's no worse than anybody else's. I sit on my front porch each evening after work and I rock and I rock and I'm very complacent about the whole situation. One day I look up and some idiot has moved in across the street. He's out there painting his house and he's fixing his window screens and window panes and I resent the hell out of him. I say, who is he moving in here in the neighborhood screwing up the whole damn neighborhood? <laughs> now if I use that resentment correctly, it will cause me to become a little bit ashamed of my house. And after a while, due to the fact that I'm ashamed of my house, I'll get up and I'll paint and I'll fix window screens and window panes and my house looks better. My neighbor resents me and after a while he fixes his house up and his neighbor resents him and he fixes his house up and the next thing you know, God's got the whole neighborhood cleaned up. But we alcoholics won't use it correctly. We'll sit on the porch and we'll rock and we'll rock and we'll resent and we'll resent. Thirty days later at midnight, we'll go over and burn his damn house down. We'll show him. 
So we'll never be completely free of them. It really depends on what we do with them as to whether they're used for a worthwhile cause or because or become something that's going to end up causing us to get drunk sooner or later. Joe? Okay, we're going to, be, going to talk about fears this morning. and Let's go to page 67 just a minute. Bottom of the paragraph. But before I do that, I'm going to read something on, uh, earlier in the book and you don't have to turn there because I'll, I'll just read it. It's on page 18, but I'll read it to you. It says, an illness of this sort, and we've come to believe in an illness, involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness. For with it there goes annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Anyone can increase the list. And what's that saying to me is that alcoholism is a family illness. It affects everybody who's in the family to some extent. And when it got around to this word fear, if you'd have told me when I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous and asked me if I'd have had any fear, I'd have said not no, but hell no, and I'd have probably jumped right in your face. That was the way, that was the kind of way I was. And then I got to looking into this later, and I realized that I was, had been a very fearful person all my life. Because when I was about eight or nine years old, a lot of traumatic things happened in my life. Uh, was real bad for me. <clears throat> One of them was my dad was an alcoholic. He had an obsession to drink. And my mother had an obsession to see that he didn't drink. Okay? <laughs> and that caused a lot of problems in my home. And I grew up in this, and I was aware of this. And so many, many times my dad would tell us kids that he was going to take my mom out and kill her. And I'm just eight or nine years old. And uh, they would be gone a day or two or three, and I'm at home wondering if he did it this time, you see. So I was affected emotionally by him and his drinking. Ultimately, he got so bad that he had to be forcibly taken to Eastern State Hospital of Anita, which is the local insane asylum. And he was put in the criminally insane ward for alcoholism. And that's what they did with alcoholics in 1949 and 50 and 51. That's before we had any rights. And he was to be up there for three years and seven months and 13 days. And during those three years and seven months and 13 days, I would go up there every couple of months and take him a couple of dollars and a carton of cigarettes or something and visit with him and go into the criminally insane ward and see him and the other people that were in there. And they had all kinds of chains on these people and leather straps and they were strapped down and some of the guys were in beds, had on diapers, you see, and they were all drunks. So I knew what he was up there for. And I hated him for it. I hated his guts for it. And that's when I made a decision that I don't need God, nothing, or nobody. And I wasn't going to depend on anybody emotionally anymore the rest of my life. And I made those decisions. It just came to me. But I thought that was a very brave, brave statement for many, many years. I used that attitude. It caused me a lot of trouble, I told you. But I used that attitude until I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I had to begin to examine that attitude. And I thought it was a very brave courageous statement but come to find out it was a very fearful statement and I didn't know that so these emotional fears as I grew these things grew with me and I didn't know and when I come into Alcoholics Anonymous I was a very mean vindictive hateful person who primarily result of my fear not being able to trust in God or other people just on myself so fear was a very big part of my life and it said that notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Miss Jones, the employer, and the wife. 
This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of his existence was shot through and through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think that fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. And we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them in paper, even though we had no resentment or connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because that self-reliance had failed? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other when it made us cocky it was worth. And that was my problem. I was a fully self-reliant person. I didn't need God, nothing, or anybody, and that failed me. And then and I, I didn't know what to do. It was only after looking at my fears, looking at this inventory in this area, that I was able to find a solution for those things. As I mentioned at the top, I don't think anybody likes being told what to do. We're not children anymore. But that fear, that fear that someone's going to tell us, direct me, make me do what I don't want to do, that's just something I could never handle in my active addiction because how dare you? So when they talk about the damage, the impact, the fear does, it is crippling and it causes damage. And once you complete your fourth step and start working towards the fifth and sixth to get that relief, it wasn't that hard for me to then start listening and first thought wrong was really hammered in from the beginning and it started to make sense. I know a lot of the platitudes that you hear in the beginning, you just sit there and you look up and you go, what on earth are these little stupid signs? But really, once they start coming into focus and once you start applying them, they really do impact, or they do for me, impact my recovery and sobriety. And I'm glad that they were there now. So get rid of the fear, clear the mind, keep working the steps, action steps. They keep us moving, one foot in front of the other. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.